Hello, this is Aaron, and welcome back to the podcast. I hope everyone had a good weekend. I wanted to follow up on a post I recently did about a character named Andrew Tate and talk about the rise of influencers, particularly among the Gen Z crowd. I had never heard of Andrew Tate until a few weeks ago, and that's true of almost everyone. He did sort of come out of nowhere. He'd been around a while, but he exploded almost overnight. And a couple of things show how big he got. One is his search ranking on Google. I saw a tweet in which someone made the claim that in July, more people searched on Google for Andrew Tate than they did Donald Trump and Kim Kardashian combined. Now, it's true. Everybody knows who Donald Trump and Kim Kardashian are. You don't really need to search for them. Whereas, you know, Andrew Tate, he's getting more bigger and people are trying to figure out who he is. So that drives a lot of Google traffic. But go to Google Trends, type in Andrew Tate and see just off the charts search performance. So I wasn't able to confirm that he was actually searched for more times, but certainly he's off the charts compared to them on Google Trends. Then I was talking with someone I knew late last week and he mentioned Andrew Tate to his teenage son. So you ever heard of this guy? His teenage son knew all about him, <laughs> knew all about Andrew Tate, knew everything about Andrew Tate. This is a guy that dad had never heard of until I mentioned him in my newsletter, but the son already knew everything about him. And imagine that Andrew Tate had not become this gigantic figure who devoured the internet. He would have still been out there with a significant following for, you know, years. And most of us would never have heard of it. He would never have gotten on the radar unless he exploded uh, to a level that he couldn't be ignored anymore. We you know billions of views on TikTok and like that. But there are a ton of these influencers who we don't know, but nevertheless have very large and substantial followings and are culturally significant in some ways. Another person I'll mention here is a guy by the name of Kevin Samuels. Uh, Kevin recently passed away, so he's he's no longer with us, unfortunately. Kevin Samuels, uh, I probably found him maybe a year, 18 months ago, something like that. And nobody in the whole Manosphere world seemed to know who he was because he mostly operated with a black audience. So Kevin Samuels is this like 50-year-old, in shape, very stylish black man. I think his job was essentially as a style consultant who ran a YouTube channel in which he did live streams that hundreds of thousands of people would watch. And he would dispense advice. But the main gig that he seemed to have alighted on was it would be like a talk radio show where women would call in and ask him for dating advice, and he would essentially humiliate them. Uh, so, you know, someone would come in and call and say, I want to be a, I want to date a high value man. And then he would say, well, why do you think a high value man would want to go out to you? Let's walk through every aspect of you in your life. And you will see that no high value man would ever want to be with you. So you can imagine this did not go over well with a large segment of the population. And when he died, I mean, the hate that was directed his direction on black Twitter was insane. I mean, a lot of these women were just really <laughs> glad to see him go. 
Uh, and it became a big story. I mean, he trended on Twitter for three days. And this guy didn't, he didn't become a household name like Andrew Tate, but he had an extremely large following within a particular demographic, uh, you know, of the country. And you would look at his YouTubes, they would get hundreds of thousands of views. And maybe he would do a couple a week or whatever. So he, he had a pretty good business going. A lot of these were live streams. And one of the things that YouTube allows you to do on live streams, like we're doing here, is something called a super chat. So those of you who are watching live can actually type in a comment and it'll show up in the chat on the side of the screen. If you enable this feature, which I haven't, so I'm not shilling for money here. This isn't even enabled, I don't think, on my channel. You can create what are called super chats. And super chats are when you pay money and you get a chat that gets essentially pinned to the top of the page. And often, you know, live streamers will use that to, you know, take questions from the audience. If you want your question answered, you have to give a super chat or something like that. I would see people leave like $300 super chats on Kevin Samuel streams. I'm watching these things coming in. I'm like, this guy's just making huge amounts of money in super chats to say nothing of any advertising or anything else that he did in his business. And so there are just a ton of these guys out there. There are a ton of them out there. The ones that we hear about, like Jordan Peterson or Joe Rogan, they're just the tip of the tip of the iceberg. And it goes way, way, way down through the line. Another one, I, probably a few years ago, I heard about these guys. I mean, you can Google me to find this article there. Maybe I'll include it in the, in the show notes. The New York Times did a big article uh, called something like can the FaZe Clan become a billion-dollar business? And I'm not sure I pronounced them correctly. It's F-A-Z-E, and the Z is capitalized. And what the FaZe Clan are is a group of Gen Z online video game streamers uh, who apparently were approached by this talent agent who essentially created a business out of them. They live together in a house, and they do these streams, and they've got a sort of reality thing going on. Again, I don't pay too much attention to it uh, because this isn't my demographic. Uh, I'm just looking at what the New York Times said. But I did notice that recently they went public. They're now a publicly traded corporation. And so here is a group of online influencers, in this case video gamers, who are making unbelievable uh, amounts of money and are now a publicly traded corporation, which is insane to think about. And again, Probably most people have never heard of these guys. I know I hadn't until I read about them in the New York Times. If the New York Times had not written about them, I would never have heard of them. And then you go down the line, there's a lot of people, I mean, even if they're not influencers per se, they've got these followings on social media where they're making a living. So one that my wife follows on uh, Instagram, I don't know the exact link, but you could probably find it. It's someone called Trader Joe's List Girl. So basically what she does is she just goes shopping at Trader Joe's where she does her grocery and then she does these haul videos where she unpacks them, she tastes new products, she makes recommendations, apparently has a million Instagram followers and this is now her full-time job is being an influencer through Trader Joe's. Other people, there's another one she follows and there's apparently a lot of these people that just tries different fast food meals and takes a bite of them. They don't show... Uh, this woman she watches does not show herself eating the entire meal. She's probably just taking a bite of it for the camera. And then she gives her ratings and reviews of these fast food items. And, and it turns into that. And so this is where people are going. 
Uh, this is where people are going. And this is something that we understand. We all understand that people are turning to influencers and they're turning away from authority figures and institutions. But I don't think we really get the sense of how significant this phenomenon is, particularly for younger people. So if you're Gen X like I am, or you're a boomer, or if you're an older millennial, you still grew up in an era in which you were very formed by institutions. You know, I grew up watching the CBS Evening News, and I still read newspapers, and I'm still connected to official organs and institutions of society. And so I complement that with influencer content, independent journalists, substacks, you know, YouTube things, and I check them out and all this. But fundamentally, that is coming in as a supplement to a background of someone who was formed in a traditional institutional environment and is still connected to institutions and think of it as authority figures. Whereas what you see in these Gen Z is I don't think a lot of them are very connected to really major institutions at all. For what I see, they're turning overwhelmingly just to social media to get almost everything. I saw a article. I wish that I'd been able to save it or find it, but it was about how Gen Z is getting most of their news off TikTok or something of that nature, like TikTok. I'd always heard that like a lot of people get their news off YouTube, and there are a lot of YouTube streamers who are essentially just commentators on the news. Like getting your news, finding out about the world off of TikTok. Imagine that. And there, you know, there are all these platforms out there that we really can't keep up with. It's such a protean environment, so many new things. And most of us, many of us, don't even use these platforms. So I don't have a TikTok account. I hardly ever touch Instagram, uh, Discord, never been on it, Snapchat, never been on it, Twitch, never been on it. There are other ones out there just never been on these things. So conversations are happening on platforms that many of us have never used and will never use. And even if a site like Snapchat doesn't become the tier one tech company that they aspired to be, they're still reaching a very large number of people. And what's happening there is having a profound impact. And so what we've seen is that this kind of rise of influencers has sort of fed off of but is also accelerating the decline of trust in institutions and authority figures. And this is not something that we can attribute primarily to technology, although it's to some extent been technology facilitated, technology enabled. I can't pin the blame on these, these influencers. What we've seen is that trust in institutions and society has been declining for a long time. And we've seen where since probably the 1990s, since the dot-com crash, Really, things in America haven't necessarily been that great. It really, until kind of the, you know, recently, we, we had had one year of 3% growth since 2000. There was one year in the Bush administration where GDP grew by 3%. And if you go all the way, I think through the end of the Trump administration, there was not even a single year of average 3% GDP growth. You know, wages had stagnated, and right now, real wages for a lot of people are in decline because even though wages are going up, 
the uh, you know inflation is going up higher. We've had high housing costs. Society isn't working for a lot of people. Record fentanyl deaths on down the line. We've had tremendous dysfunction in America, which has been disguised for a lot of people who are in the commentator class or the authority figure class because they have lives that are actually okay. America is still working for the upper middle class, for the top 20%. For everybody else, it's not working nearly as well. And so there's a legitimate background in which people are like, hey, this isn't working. Why would we tune into these institutions? Maybe we can tune in to something else. And now the technology enables a new kind of influencer model to come to the fore. And that's part of it. And I'm not saying it never would have happened but for the decline of trust in these institutions. But if we had these robust institutions, it would certainly provide, you know, a counterbalance to that. Now, I'm an influencer of sorts, uh, so you wouldn't be listening to me, right, 20 years ago. Wouldn't be the case. So I can't complain too much about this influencer model. To some extent, I'm not critiquing it or I'm not praising it. I'm just describing what it is. And certainly, if not for the rise of this model, I would not exist as a public figure, even though I regularly write for real publications today. I would never have gotten the job in a think tank in New York City if not for my ability to create an influence model for myself through my original blog, for example. But one thing I do see today is there is this sort of difference between, call them legitimate influencers and non-legitimate influencers. And maybe legitimate isn't really the word, uh, but it's the idea that there are some influencers who are essentially validated or treated as you know official, somehow given a seal of approval or talked about by the mainstream institutions of society. The FaZe clan is one. When the New York Times writes an article about you and when you go public and all of that, there's a certain legitimacy that comes from that. Uh, I was really struck by the juxtaposition between uh, this Andrew Tate thing that came up in this article, and I believe it was the Washington Post, about Glennon Doyle's new podcast. Glennon Doyle <laughs> is to some extent a, a, you know, a female analog of Andrew Tate uh, to some extent. They're obviously very different people, you know, but one is kind of telling the guys what they want to hear. One's telling the women what they want to hear. Glennon Doyle is viewed as essentially legitimate, you know, even though much of what she says is not great, for example. So yeah, there's there's people out there who sort of get the get the seal of approval a little bit, and I think that's one of the big distinguishing factors of the influencer model. It's less about credentials or not credentialed. It's more about sort of you know are you sort of like recognized? Maybe it's not even legitimized. It's recognized. Are they willing to recognize you and sort of shine a light on you occasionally? Are you just going to sort of exist in sort of the dark underside of YouTube? Are you just going to be out there invisible until something really really happens? And so. There is this vast sea of influencers out there, large and small, who are really shaping the way people understand the world. And the influencers and the way that this is occurring, this conversation is occurring, it's not even now just through YouTube channels or TikTok channels or things like that. It's even migrating into offline channels, if you will. So a lot of people now say, I don't want to be on Twitter, I want to be in a Slack, private Slack group. There are apparently a lot of these private Slack channels in Silicon Valley, and it's like cool to be invited to a, a private Slack channel. I have a Slack channel uh, for my members. If you're a member uh, uh, of uh, my work, 
which you can for $50 a month on Patreon or Gumroad. Uh, please check it out, patreon.com, gumroad.com. We have a private Slack channel where you can chat with other people. And we also do private Zoom sessions where we have interactive discussions and I'm covering topics of the day. So that's like a private a Slack channel that I run. I'm not a member of any other, but I've gotten uh, included in a number of private Signal groups. Signal is similar to WhatsApp. It's basically a texting app. You can also make phone calls through it, but it's encrypted and it has disappearing messages. And so you can set it to disappear so you just don't have this, this text record uh, of things there. But anyhow, Signal's become super popular and a lot of things now occur on Signal chats. People are chatting, they're getting information from others through these private networks, in essence, not even through public influencers. And so what's happening in our society, there's so much going on under the surface that we don't even know about. And occasionally, say when an Andrew Tate, uh, you know, becomes this massive story and ends up on Tucker Carlson in the news, one of these things comes up. And we're like, oh, well, what is this guy saying? And you realize that he's kind of a lunatic in a lot of ways. He's, he's a lunatic with millions of people who follow him and tens of thousands of people who are giving him a lot of money to teach him how to get rich online. I've determined that the best way to get rich online is to start a business teaching other people how to get rich online. That seems to be the actual uh, thing. To, you'd have to pay me money for that. I just gave away the secret. But that's what's going on. And that's the new model. And part of it's driven, again, by the fact that our elites and our institutions aren't very good. They're often promoting things that are very morally bad and morally corrupt, and they're incompetent, and they don't seem any interested in fixing it. And so people are saying, where can I get information that entertains me? Where can I get information that's giving me the truth? Where can I find out the truth about how, as a young man, I should interact with women if I want to have dating success? Well, you're not going to find that from the church. You're not going to find that from the traditional authority figures. What you're going to do is you're going to open the New York Times Sunday opinion section, uh, if, if a 15-year-old were, say, to be reading that thing, and you're going to see on the front cover that, you know, maternal instinct for women is a totally patriarchal manufactured myth, which was, in fact, the lead huge essay this weekend. And there's no such thing as gender, and everything is socially constructed, and all this. Actually, that's not true. So you have all these elite organizations that are telling you stuff that's not true. And when I was in high school, there was no way to find out that it wasn't true. We really had no choice but to take in what we had because we didn't have alternative sources of information. Well, now, through peer networks, the stuff comes in the door and it's like, oh, all of a sudden, hey, wait a minute. Here's some information that might be morally corrupt and it might not be 100% accurate, but they're actually telling you things that, hey, wait a minute, these guys weren't telling me that. And so that's why they're seeking it out. And I think a lot of parents today uh, are worried that their kids are going to get into porn online. And that's a huge problem. Uh, pornography, especially with smartphones and all that, it's a gigantic problem. But the idea that this phone or this internet is a gateway for things to reach your kid goes way, way, way beyond pornography. It goes way, way beyond sort of the well-talked about, you know, toxic dynamics for tween girls on Instagram and did everybody like my post and all that stuff. It, it really is all of this influencers models, all these people out there that no one could possibly e even track 
uh, over time that are really now shaping a lot of the thought processes uh, and a lot of the aspirations of Generation Z. And so it will be very interested to, to me to see how will this evolve over time? How will a Generation Z think about the world when they get to be my age? Uh, and they did not have a lot of their formative ideas about life come through institutions to nearly the extent the previous generation did. Obviously, they went to school, probably they went to college. They had some things, but institutions are having far and far and less pull, and it's more and more and more the influencer model, which again, I'm not critiquing necessarily the influencer model because I'm an influencer, but I think the key is if you're an influencer, then that comes with a, a pretty high level of responsibility in terms of what you say as well. So in all of us who are influencers or aspire to be influencers should think about that. So there's a good chance if you have a teenage son, he knows all about Andrew Tate. <laughs> he knows all about it. He probably knows about a lot of things that you don't know that he knows about quite apart from porn. So something to keep in mind, just wanted to share that. That's one of the big trends that we just have to understand is this fragmentation of authority, this dissolution of authority, and this rise of alternative sources of network creation and authority creation and information dissemination. And it's going to be interesting to see how it develops because there's going to be this war out there between kind of the top level officials who want to insert more and more and more control over society, more and more and more regulation over what can be shared. Plus, you've got Silicon Valley over here who's sympathetic to that. They're implementing a lot of it, but they also want to make money. And then you got people who are very motivated to bypass any content filters that are there and find this info. So we don't know how it's going to play out. It's, there's a lot of things jockeying for position. Uh, but uh, it's weird, even though we have a much less free internet than we used to, this information is still getting out. So something to keep in mind as you hear about things like Andrew Tate, he's just the tippy tip of the iceberg of the influencer model. Thank you very much, and I will talk to you next week.